Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our guest, Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we're, of course, talking about the economy and the effects of uh, uh, the stimulus package uh, and all the other related effects on the economy being caused by the uh, seemingly, uh, at least uh, in our sight, the end of the uh, COVID-19 crisis that we've been living under for the last uh, uh, 12 months or so. Mike, uh, first of all, before we get to my question about the federal debt, uh, you're always working on books. Are you working on a new book? And, and what do you have out right now? I am working on a new book. Uh, what I have out right now are two books that came out last year. Uh, one, a policy book called uh, Real Solutions, Common Sense Ideas for Solving Our Most Pressing Problems. Uh, so all these things we've been talking about, cost of education, um, where the jobs will be, uh, taxes, debt, et cetera. I, I think I have 20 of the top hot button uh, economic issues that people like to talk about, uh, my views on those. So that's been out uh, since last August. So it's called Real Solutions. And then I, uh, my, my, my fiction writing just sort of comes to me. I don't really plan it, but I, I think last year with having the election going on and, and a lot of interesting things going on in the political world, both, both good and bad, uh, I was inspired to write what I call a political thriller. Uh, and then it's called Dishunia, and it talks, it uses the backdrop of a lot of dissension in our government, states trying to go their own way, forming compacts, et cetera. And I've got some heroes and heroines at the bottom of this that get into some situations. So that, that book is also out. The book I'm working on right now, Don, is a book that tries to look at the future for the family after the pandemic and, and how will the job market be different uh, how will, will remote working take off? Is that something families want to do, uh, want, want to uh, embrace? Uh, how might education, particularly K through 12, change? So this is a book that tries to really bring it down to the family level in a very practical sense of what, how people can take advantage of the changes that we might see in the post-pandemic economy, particularly families with children. Interesting. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated with the with the nonfiction book. So, uh, I mean, with the, the uh, fiction book because that's uh, uh, something I had not expected from you. But, but but you continue to surprise me, so I don't know why I'm surprised. <laughs> well, that's um, why I've been married forty three years, and I I keep surprising her, I guess. <laughs> well, you've been married forty three years, and you've been at state for forty three years. So I, I would say that you you know you're most people would say you're fairly stable. <laughs> Uh, Mike, uh, does the federal debt bother you? I know we probably had no real choices. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I ever read uh, of more than a handful of economists that didn't think the right thing to do was to continue, continue to keep the economy up. But, I think uh, you're right. I, I think you're right, Don. Now, this last one, $1.9 trillion, I think there were some ideas that folks had that said, well, maybe we've gone a little bit too far. Maybe there's some things in, in this bill that really aren't COVID-related. So I can see an argument there, but I think the idea that we were going to, to have to borrow from the future in order to, to uh, handle this, this experience that we've been going through, I think that was broadly embraced and broadly accepted. And so, we, yeah, we will have, when all everything's done, as long as we're going in the right direction now with in terms of getting the virus under control, we will have added about $6 trillion in national debt. So we're very close, if not right there, at $30 trillion in debt. Now, 
that's a that's a number no one can conceive of. I mean, it's a gigantic number. But and you know this, Don, because you're a business person. If you have debt, what really matters is your carrying costs uh, and how that fits into your budget. Can you afford the payments and then do everything else that you that you want to do? And and here's where the good news is: if you look at the payments on the national debt as a percent of a national income, think of everything that everyone earns collectively, we're actually at a level that's about half as high as it was in the 80s and 90s. And it's actually a level that's about where it was in the year I was born, 1951. So we can afford to pay uh, pay the interest on the debt. I also hear people say, well, Walden, isn't China one day going to wake up and say, we want our money back? No. Uh, we have sold them a lot of debt, but they they have a timer on them. They have to hold that for the length of time that the, the Treasury note or the Treasury bond is issued for, or they can always sell it to someone else. And, and actually, the recent debt that we've taken on, most of that's been financed by the Federal Reserve, which got to my concern about inflation. The Federal Reserve, of course, the, brilliant, the power they have is the power to print money, and they have printed money. As I said, 26% increase in the amount of money last year. So the Federal Reserve's actually been the main, main financier of this of this stimulus. Where, where we pay for this, Don, and this gets a little abstract, but where we pay for this is that the money, we've taken this money from the future. So we've taken $6 trillion from the future to bring it back now and spend. That means we won't have that $6 trillion to spend in the future, which means that things that we could have bought, things that we could have invested in the future, we won't have that ability to do. So bottom line, economic growth in the future will be somewhat less, given that we've added this debt, than it would have been if we hadn't. But I, I don't think that we had a choice. I mean, the option, Don, would have been to let uh, millions of businesses fail, uh, millions of people become destitute, uh, our economy essentially burned down, and then we wouldn't have had anything to pass on to our children and grandchildren. So I think we absolutely, this is a time where I think borrowing was absolutely mandatory. We've had a transition, of course, in the administration, and this has had uh, a lot of effect with our foreign relations. And we are now living in an era where the international economy is, uh, and the local uh, and the United States economy are so intertwined. What do you see happening now? And are we uh, uh, are we on our way to a better relationship with our allies in Europe? Uh, what about China? What about Russia? What about uh, uh, the uh, Mideast? Yeah, well, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we may have some better relations with Europe. I mean, that really wasn't, uh, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, the Trump administration was <clears throat> was concerned that the Europeans weren't spending enough to support NATO. They weren't spending what they said they did. And, and so he used his uh, sort of hardball technique to get to get them to do that. And actually they brought their expenditure shares shares up. Uh, our, I think our big challenges in the world geopolitically are clearly China and then also the Middle East, particularly Iran. So that's where I'm looking now. Uh, the Biden administration so far seems to be saying they're going to keep our kind of hard approach with China, both economically and politically. In fact, uh, the administration's top uh, diplomat Secretary of State Blinken, as well as uh, Defense Secretary uh, Austin, were in Japan the other day, speaking to their counterparts in Japan and saying, hey, we need to keep together to stand up against China. So it looks like there's going to be some continuity there between what the Trump administration was doing vis-a-vis -vis China and, and what the Biden administration will do. 
Iran, of course, um, I'm not quite, I'm not, I can't quite figure out where the Biden administration is yet on Iran. They've talked about wanting to, to reopen negotiations on the um, uh, deal with Iran that uh, they said that would have resulted in Iran saying at least a promising not to do nuclear weapons. Trump administration tore up that deal and really played hardball with them. A lot of sanctions. Iran wants to get out of those sanctions. Um, Trump administration was able to get on several Arab countries to recognize uh, uh, Israel. Um, my guess is that the Biden administration uh, secretly will probably continue those efforts. They've already demonstrated they're not unwilling to take some military actions against um, some of the uh, uh, groups in, in Iraq that are allied with um, Iran when they shot missiles at bases where we have troops. Um, but I'm not. My, I think we're, I think the jury is still out on where we're going to go with Iran. But those are the two big. Those are the two big um, um, issues. I think the bigger of the two is clearly China. I think ultimately Iran's going to be contained, uh, especially if more Arab countries join with Israel. We know Israel's already a nuclear power. They've never stated it, but we know they are. And Israel is not adverse to uh, taking strikes against uh, allies of Iran. So my guess is Iran can be contained. China's a whole other matter. I mean, they have, they have come so far economically, which allows them to have built up their military. They continue to rattle their sabers against um, about about Taiwan. So I think that's that's the bigger concern. I think geopolitically is is what we do with China. I don't know enough about this to even ask a good question, but. Uh... Uh, Great Britain, of course, pulled out of their relationship mm -hmm. in the European market. Uh, what's the story there? Who, who made the right decision? Is uh, <laughs> England better off or uh, uh, should they go back in and get more involved again? Well, they're probably not going to be better off in the short run because um, a lot of uh, ties were built up with the continent. Now that you've got tariffs and you've got restrictions on trade. I mean, economists are big advocates of trade. Um, it's probably going to hurt them economically. Um, now, they, they were looking to do a big deal with the U.S. Uh, when President Trump was in office. Not sure where that stands with respect to the Biden administration. But uh, yeah, this is probably going to hurt uh, the U.K. They've got now Scotland making noises out about going their own way, having a vote, et cetera. Um, uh, I understand they had issues like we had issues in terms of sovereignty, uh, free movement of people, et cetera, not maybe able, maybe able to control their, their borders. So I understand that. But uh, I think probably economically it was a mistake to cut up that deal with the EU. When will the jury finally come to a verdict on that? Uh, how long would this take to decide whether uh, just how much damage they did do or if indeed they end up in a better state? Oh, I think we'll see some evidence fairly quickly. I think in a couple of, couple of years, I mean, one of the big concerns is London was, a, was really, you could argue one was the financial capital of the world. Now it probably won't be. We'll, we'll go to Frankfurt, we'll go to Brussels, et cetera. So I think we can, we'll see some numbers fairly soon about the impact of this on, on the UK economy. And of course, then that has political reverberations with respect to your, you have a parliamentary system in the UK. If uh, Boris Johnson loses support of his, his party, has to call an election, you could have a change in party. Things can happen very, very rapidly. So I think we'll see, I think we'll see some, uh, some evidence and some evaluations within, a, within maybe two or three years. So 
in the long run, does this have much effect on our economy here in the United States? Well, a little bit, but I don't think it's it's the big. I don't think it's a, a major effect. I mean, I, th- I think it's affected the margins. Um, but uh, we've we've had we've had issues with the with the EU in terms of tariffs on our stuff. Uh, we put some tariffs. What did we do? I think we had some tariffs on French wine and some other French imports. I'm not sure if the Biden administration rescinded those, but we've had some we had we've had some tests with them. Uh, in terms of uh, protectionism on their part, at least that we've claimed. Uh, but I mean, our—I mean, we are—we of any country in the world, we are probably the most self-sufficient. But in terms of trade, uh, the big—the big elephant in the room is China. Uh, that we, China, has grown in, in the span of really just 20 years to be one of the biggest trading partners we have. We have an enormous trade deficit with them. Trump administration was trying to work away at that. I'm not sure that that's something we really need to worry about, but I think we do need to worry about China not maybe playing fair in trade and China using some of the powers they have domestically to steal secrets from some of our country companies that are in China. I think those were valid issues. And again, I'm not sh- quite sure where the Trump Biden administration is going to go here, but my guess is they'll probably adopt some of the same, at least, goals with respect to China that the Trump administration had. Are new treaties with uh, Canada working out well? Yeah, I, th- I think so. As far as I know, of course, the big issue uh, in our hemisphere right now is, is the border um, with, with immigration. But in terms of uh, updating NAFTA, yeah, USMCI, I think, was a, was a good update. Um, um, there's, I mean, in my mind, there's still some issues. I wasn't a big fan of some of the more heavy regulations that were imposed in terms of uh, trying to bring more industries back to our country. It was kind of done with the heavy hand of government rather than maybe uh, more, more economic competition. But uh, yeah, that seems to be a sealed deal. And the big thing, of course, right now is, is the, uh, the border issue with immigration. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we will be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, we're going to talk again about uh, uh, what is likely to happen in the next three months to our economy. Uh, interest rates and possible uh, changes in the taxes that we might pay to pay for all this that we have uh, had to uh, uh, add on to our federal budget uh, during the time of the COVID-19 situation. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Olivia, from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but 
Filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden. A reminder, this program comes in two forms. A number of stations carry only the 30-minute version. If you are listening to one of those stations and you'd like to hear the segments that you missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and get those two segments. Or if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast or share it with a friend, you can also do the same thing, carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest this week is Dr. Mike Walden. He's been a frequent guest on our program through the years. He's the uh, professor of agricultural and resource economics at North Carolina State and uh, uh, has uh, long been someone that uh, the business community and the General Assembly and our governmental leaders all turn to for advice on the North Carolina economy. We talked about all sorts of things. Mike, uh, we uh, spent a little bit of time in the first segment talking about the possible changes to the way that we live and have learned to live during the COVID-19 situation, uh, such things as business travel may be affected, leisure travel may be affected. The, this would have an impact on the airlines, for example. Um, but uh, I'd like to focus in this segment on, on some of the permanent changes. For example, if we have more and more people working at home, are we going to have an oversupply of office space in this mm -hmm. country? That's a real good question, Don. As a businessman, you're very you're very in tune with that. Um, we could uh, nationwide. I think it depends crucially on where you are. Uh, quite frankly, if I was an investor in New York City, I'd be worried. Uh, maybe the same in San Francisco. Not so worried here in, in uh, North Carolina and specifically where we are in the Triangle, but also Charlotte. And it's been interesting, Don. I know you've noted in the last month we've had several mega announcements about big commercial developments, uh, some many by John Kane uh, with uh, Downtown South, uh, the Innovation Center at North Hills, uh, something I think it's called um, South Park near the Dix property. And I think there was a big announcement in, in Durham also. I think, and, and so we've got people who are putting their money on the line that the Triangle Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, the triangle is going to grow and be able to absorb all this space. And I, I think they're probably right. Even if we have a large, uh, a significant percentage of people remotely working. And in fact, there was a study done oh, a couple months ago that said the triangle is actually one of the top places in the country for remote working. But I think that North Carolina is going to come out of this pandemic being viewed as a safe state. Now, what I mean by that is for people who are in maybe the Northeast, New York metropolitan area, or, or some metros in, in, in California or the Midwest who are looking to move for a variety of reasons, I think that there, I think North Carolina looks, continues to look great as a destination. If you look at how we have gone through the COVID 19 pandemic in terms of things like death rates per capita. We look we look very, very good. Of course, you want to be low there. I think we've done a very good job of keeping those numbers down. Uh, and then we, of course, all of our, our pluses we've had over the years, the decades, uh, in the, the, the environment from the coast to the mountains, the Piedmont, uh, the sun, sunshine, uh, mild winters, um, I think in terms of business, I think we, we generally have a, a, a pro-business uh, government. 
Um, I think all the signs are there for people who are want to relocate after this pandemic. A lot of experts think there will be a lot of geographic resorting after the pandemic. I think North Carolina looks to, to capture uh, its fair share of that. So I'm actually beginning to increase my forecast for say population growth in the state as a result of this pandemic as more people as more people move in and i think that's what the commercial developers these projects i just alluded to are counting on they they recognize probably remote working is going to end up uh, at a higher share than it was pre-pandemic but i think what they're counting on is more people moving here from the outside more businesses coming here to fill those office towers well, you know, uh, I'm going to slightly change the subject on you because uh, the General Assembly is in uh, is in session, the House and the Senate. And a year from a year ago, I think we all feared that the the state government uh, coffers might be mm -hmm. uh, suffering due to the pandemic. We've ended up in much better shape than we might have thought of a year ago. We did, and and what changed, of course, were were all the stimulus plans that pumped in about $40 billion to North Carolina. And a lot of when that gets spent, there were sales taxes. When businesses and individuals had that as income, there were income taxes. And so about a month or six weeks ago, the, the, the so-called joint forecast is a joint forecast between the governor's office and the General Assembly. Um, budgetary forecast indicated that the general fund revenues were on track to grow 17% over the next year. About a year ago, we were worried they would fall by between five and 10%. And then plus on, on top of that, as part of the $1.9 trillion just passed stimulus bill, there was a chunk for the first time in there, $350 billion uh, with very few strings attached going to state and local governments. And North Carolina is estimated to get about 9 billion of that. So that's going to be on top of these these the good news we've had about revenues uh, growing. So uh, yeah, I think the state's going to have money to spend. I think the big question will be, and the big debate will be, where where to spend it, how to spend. It. Do you foresee uh, with the federal government increasing the federal debt and having other needs uh, that uh, they will be attending to under a democratic administration? Uh, instead of a Republican administration, do you foresee any adjustments to the federal taxes that we might be paying? Yes, there, there. I, I think uh, if I was a betting person, I would bet the house on this. There will be uh, a proposal from the Biden administration. I'm, I'm not taking sides here, but there will be a proposal from the Biden administration as part of their budget plan for significant tax increases. I think in the following following areas, an increase in the corporate income tax an increase in the personal income tax for uh, higher income households, the number I've heard, if you earn your earnings are above $400,000, you will get a tax increase. I think there's gonna be a proposal to raise the level of income for an individual that's subject to social security taxes. And then there may be a variety of other things. So yes, I'm, I would think that you will be looking at a multi-trillion dollar request from the Biden administration to increase a variety of taxes. I can see that uh, passing the House, I, you know, with the Senate 50-50, it only takes one, one Democrat to uh, vote the other way. I, you know, I'm, I'm not as uh, uh, sure that that would pass, but we'll have to wait and see. The other 
question, and I guess we should ask a political scientist, it's not an economist, but uh, the Biden administration and the Democratic Party are going to want to get reelected. And uh, about the time a tax increase would come into play would be the, uh, the uh, next election uh, that uh, may come into play. Well, you're right. And this is a question of political science. My political science friends would be more adept at, at answering, but they're not here. So I'll take a stab. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, clearly most people don't want to pay higher taxes. But on the other hand, uh, there are a lot of people who think the federal government, again, not taking sides, think the federal government needs to do more in, in a variety of areas from the environment to uh, helping children, helping families, um, uh, pollution, et cetera, infrastructure. And so I think it's a balancing, quite frankly, I think it's a balancing act uh, in this case for the Democrat party and the Democrat leadership between looking at the benefits of these variety programs and, and, uh, and the costs on the tax side. And I think that's why they will, they will probably make proposals that, that target who's gonna pay higher taxes and it won't be everyone. Uh, it'll be primarily a, a targeted group those primarily with higher incomes. Mike, you mentioned earlier in the program that uh, you foresee interest rates sliding upward, uh, both on, and that would include mortgage rates. Um, but uh, um, we did not talk about gas prices and they are, mm. uh, after a long period of being extraordinarily low, they are creeping up again too. What do you see happening there? They are. And, and Don, uh, using your words, this is where knowledge of supply and demand comes in play. Uh, we're starting to see the economy really take off. And so people are driving more. I live beneath belt, near the Beltline. And I think the Beltline noise that I hear every time I go outside is, is back to normal. So people are driving more. So that's increasing demand. So everything else equal, that would cause gas prices above. Plus, um, we've had, a, we've had a, um, um, a constraint on supply. Uh, now, I'm not talking about the Keystone Pipeline cancelization. I'm primarily talking about the Middle East and Russia. There was an, uh, there was an agreement several months ago between Russia and the Middle East OPEC countries to limit production in order to get prices up because they, they didn't like the prices being so low. So I don't think we're, I don't think we're done with higher gas prices. I do think we're going to level off, though, at some point, the OPEC and Russian oil pumpers will say, all right, the price is high enough. Now we're going to open the floodgates so we can earn or earn more money. Um, but I do think there'll be a debate about this. And you, you mentioned elections. I think that we had gotten to a point in the country where we were energy independent. And I think that'll be a debate whether, whether we will have lost that or not. I think we'll hear a debate about that at the next election. Well, we, we mentioned earlier on the program that uh, all these things that we've talked about are subject to changes. Is there anything on the horizon that might change uh, dramatically any of the things that we've talked about? Uh, yes. I mean, one thing would be the optimism that we're getting the virus under control. The thing I worry about right now, and I'm certainly no medical person, but I do try to pay attention, is the, the um, fact that Europe is now going through several countries in Europe are reimposing lockdowns because they've got the variant of the virus uh, spreading through their country and they haven't had enough people vaccinated. Uh, so that's why I think we need to redouble our efforts to get more people vaccinated. Supposedly, the vaccinations that are out there will guard us against these variants. But 
The nightmare situation, Don, would be the variants get here, and I guess there already been some situations where they are, but they get here, you get a toehold, and they start to spread before we have enough uh, people vaccinated. And then we're back where we were in the winter or even worse uh, last last spring. So that's that's my worst nightmare where something could change and, and really set us back. Uh, other than that, what I, one thing I am interested in, and, uh, and this is a positive thing, is high-speed internet, I think, is increasingly going to be viewed as a necessity like electricity was 100 years ago. I wouldn't be surprised to see North Carolina do more here. The federal government, if there's an infrastructure package out of the Biden administration, maybe money for high-speed internet there. But one of the things I'm, I'm curious about and following is the possibility of high-speed internet coming from satellites, low-flying satellites, not the ones that are 25,000 miles up, but about 600 miles. And none other than Elon Musk is involved in this. Uh, the other night, people reported that uh, they saw some flashes in the sky and they wondered if it was a meteor or not. It was actually Elon, Elon Musk's rockets in Florida sending up more of these satellites. He wants to blanket the, the, um, uh, the atmosphere with these satellites, and that's the way he plans to provide internet service. He says he's going to get it done by the end of the year. That, I think, could be a game changer, an absolute game changer uh, for a variety of things, but one being... Um, uh, internet access everywhere. Mike, uh, thank you so much. We, uh, our time is gone. We appreciate your comments and appreciate you being with us. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on again and bring us an update. Our Thanks, program man. has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest again next week on the same group of stations. So for next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.